So I'd like to, um, to speak a little bit tonight uh, about a question that is probably arising uh, for all of us, whether we've done retreats before or not. Um, it's a question of kind of what next or how do I, um, how do I integrate? Yeah? How do I take whatever has been um, of value for me over the days here? How do I bring that into changing conditions, yeah, different situations, what we call, sometimes people call it real life. <laughs> I always find that very funny. <laughs> and I think we can, we can all hold that quite lightly, that real, you know, hopefully one thing that we've seen um, or kind of begun to understand in this retreat is like to really question anything that comes with like a capital real at the beginning. <laughs> yeah. But we can say, you know, changing conditions, daily life conditions. Yeah, as we said at the beginning, retreat, um, you know, it's really a carefully put together set of conditions that are conducive to calmness, um, you know, to quiet, to insight, to seeing into life. Um, and, and these conditions are different, yeah, and they'll start changing um, tomorrow. Yeah. So that question of, um, of what, what next, how do I, what do I take with me and how, yeah, we could say. And I'd really like to, to speak about this, and, and if we can, if our um, kind of initial attitude can be of this is an invitation, yeah, this question is an invitation to, to explore, yeah, first of all, to feel what has been of benefit, and then to explore how can that flow into and spread into other aspects of my life, which are not formal uh, meditation or formal retreat setting. And to see this, if we can see that this as a change in conditions, yeah, conditions are changing, yeah, not, not necessarily like a, you know, retreat ends, <laughs> yeah, abrupt, and everything else begins, but rather if we can see a continuum, it will be different, yeah, it will be different. As conditions change, things will change. And um, a few months ago, I was listening to, um, to an interview with, with Joseph Goldstein, who I've mentioned before, he's a um, senior teacher in the insight tradition. And um, in this interview, it's actually an interview with Sam Harris, which I think some of you know here, anyway. Um, in this interview, he was um, speaking about daily meditation practice. And he said that what um, has become clear to him over the years of his practice, and as his practice matures, is that his interest is equally in the hour a day that he practices formally, sits on the cushion, um, and in the other 23 hours. <laughs> yeah. So the interest is equal. Yeah. In the formal and in the non-formal. And that somehow that phrase, like hearing that, it really struck me. The other 23 hours. Yeah. The other 23 hours. And we can say the rest of our lives. Yeah. So it's become something that's kind of really struck me, really kind of stays like a, sometimes these phrases stay with me. Yeah, like a kind of inner mantra. There's that real, um, it's like, ah, yes, you know. Our practice really matures when um, it's got presence on the cushion, but it also spreads out, expands, just like we've been doing with the expanded awareness. <laughs> yeah, expanding, stretching awareness. So these qualities, these ways of looking that we're cultivating, expanding, stretching into as much of our lives, as many areas of our lives as possible. And so a really important question that arises is what can support that? Yeah? What can support that to happen? You know, we, we you know, genuinely have the intention and then how do we put it into play? How do we put it into um, 
into the, it's an English phrase, into the nitty-gritty, <laughs> into the, you know, the, um, the detail of our lives. Yeah, the detail of our life. And unsurprisingly, you know, we're not the only ones asking this question. Yeah, and, and in, in the, in the Buddha's teachings, he addressed this. Yeah, and actually the path that he described includes all areas of the human life. Yeah, so what we've been doing here, formal meditation practice, silence, some degree of, you know, simplification and seclusion is one aspect. Yeah, it's one aspect of the path. But these teachings, these um, practices, can be applied to everything. And I, and I want to I wanna share some of these uh, teachings of the path and explore them with you. So when I say, you know, that the teachings include all areas of human life, it really, they really do include all areas of human life. So it includes, you know, the messy, <laughs> yeah, the complex, the difficult, the places where we get really challenged. Yeah, these are, and a lot of it is about attitude, just like we've been cultivating here in the kitchen. If we can bring interest, yeah, if we can bring gentleness and kindness, if we can bring willingness to make mistakes, yeah, if we can bring willingness to learn and grow, yeah, then anything that arises in our experience can be part of the path, can come onto the path. Does that make sense to people? Yeah. Nothing needs to be left out. Yeah. Nothing needs to be left out. And remembering that whatever arises, we can attend with as much wisdom and compassion as are available to us in that moment. <laughs> yeah. So it doesn't need to be the ultimate. You know, if I can't attend to this with, you know, kind of Mother Teresa and Dalai Lama qualities, then, you know, I failed or I can't do it. Yeah. We attend with what is available to us in that moment. We do the best we can. Yeah, we do the best we can. Really, really helpful to remember that. So we don't need to get it perfect. Also really helpful to remember. We don't need to get it perfect. Doing our best with what we have. And we'll make mistakes. And we'll learn from them. It's all part of the path. It all comes into the path. So yesterday, Nathan spoke about um, kind of initial, the first step on, on the chain of dependent origination or the circle of dependent origination. He used the words um, blindness or ignorance. Yeah, avidya in Pali. And... When we walk the path of including everything, including everything in our practice, um, the first the initial spark of that path is kind of the opposite of avidya, yeah, the opposite of blindness or ignorance. Yeah, it's understanding or wisdom. And really important to remember, again, it doesn't have to be ultimate <laughs> or even kind of very, very deep. Yeah. It's, it's the initial spark that sparks us off. And that understanding is the understanding um, of cause and effect. Yeah? Action and result. Yeah? That's all we need to understand at the beginning. <laughs> yeah? Just that really simple thing. That what we do and how we do it has an impact. Yeah? And like Nathan was reminding us yesterday, um, it's not... Um, that very kind of simplified thing that A always leads to B. Yeah, we take in the complexity of causes and conditions. Yeah, so whatever we do, whatever we say, how we do it has an impact. 
It doesn't mean that it's all in our control. It doesn't mean that we'll always know what the impact is, yeah, or the impacts, you know, because it reverberates and it's it's complex. Yeah, but just that initial understanding. I've written really dense notes today, so I'll, I'll have to keep checking that I'm not missing something important. <laughs> so there'll be lots of pauses. So that, yeah, with this, um, one way I like to, to see it is that everything in life is conditioned and also a condition. Yeah? Like everything is, a, is conditioned and a condition. It's both that kind of gives us a taste of that mutuality of things and the co-arising of things. And this gives us a sense of, of how interconnected everything is, how mutually reliant everything is. Yeah. Which is... Um, can be really inspiring. Like for me, that's really inspiring to feel that. Yeah, so it's kind of sometimes when we speak about this, it can make us feel very tight. It's like, oh no, you know, I need to be really careful here, <laughs> you know, because anything I do has results. So I, I need to be really, really, really tight. But if we can actually relax and actually feel the web of interconnectedness that we are a part of and rest into that. Yeah. So what we do and how we do it matters, but it's part of a web of conditions that we can rest into and and receive support from. So we get a sense also of our part in it. And so this is, like I said, an initial spark. And this understanding, this wisdom, as we walk the path, as we practice, it continues to deepen and evolve. Yeah, it continues to deepen and evolve. So there's that basic understanding, that simple understanding, very profound understanding. Yeah. And from that understanding comes intention. Yeah. Comes intention, the second step. Yeah. So if, if I'm constantly having an impact, yeah, what would be a wholesome intention to align with? Yeah, and when we look at intention, it's both something that kind of um, guides us, yeah, something that guides us, having intention, sometimes I have this image, it's like a lighthouse, it guides us on the way. Uh, and it also is a real support for us, the intention, it keeps us steady. And I think we haven't said this yet, I might be wrong. But in the, in, in the Buddha's teachings, um, wise intention is divided into three aspects. This is one of my favorite parts of the teachings. So wise intention is letting go of the causes of suffering, the intention to let go of the causes of suffering. Yeah. The intention to let go of the causes of suffering. The intention to let go of ill will. Yeah, of having enmity or animosity towards others. And the intention to prioritize harmlessness. Yeah. The intention to prioritize or to align with harmlessness, with living harmlessly. I hope you also feel how beautiful that is. And kind of sometimes I reflect, you know, if, if, if we all lived according to that intention, even a little bit, yeah, how different the world would be. Yeah, intention to let go of the causes of suffering, the intention to let go of ill will, and the intention to align with harmlessness. Yeah. So 
So we, we know that what we do, how we do it, it impacts on our own well-being, yeah, on our body, on our heart, on our mind. And it also impacts on the body's hearts and minds of others. Yeah, we know that. And the invitation for us is, can we cultivate and align, can we cultivate this intention so it grows stronger? And can we align our lives with it? Yeah? Small steps, small steps. And can we see the relationship between living in alignment with this intention and our own happiness? Yeah? Can we see that? Because the more we see that, the more likely we are to follow that. Yeah. The more we see that, the more likely we are to follow that. So, intention comes with action, right? Intention leads to action, informs how we behave, how we act in the world. And this includes our actions, our thoughts, our speech, and the choices, the life choices that we make. (coughs) Yeah? Covers all of those. They're all, um, in all of them, there's um, intention. What was the last? The love. What was the last? The choices that we. Love choices. Life choices. Life choices. Yeah, love choices are also nice. <laughs> yeah, life choices. Yeah. So it covers all aspects of our lives. Yeah, thoughts, speech, actions, choices. Yeah, intention informs all of those. And so our practice yeah, in these areas is how do we apply that understanding yeah, of cause and effect? Okay, let me know if you can't hear me. How do we apply that understanding of cause and effect? And how do we apply aligning with these intentions? How do we actually apply it in practice? As I said, to the nitty-gritty, <laughs> to life. Sometimes we can clearly see what the result will be of an action. Yeah? Sometimes it's <coughs> clear. Yeah? We can see it clearly. If I say this, that's going to hurt the other person. Yeah? Sometimes we can see that relationship. Or if I uh, make this choice of career or diet or you know, whatever, that's going to have an impact on other beings. Yeah? Sometimes we can see it clearly, if we're willing. Sometimes it's not clear, yeah? There's so much complexity in life. We're, we're not clear about, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make this choice and I don't know what the effect will be. I mean, even when we're sure of what the effect will be, it doesn't always pan out that way. And also there can be multiple effects. So in the cases when, you know, when we're not clear, not clear about what the effect will be, intention, again, is a real resource for us. Yeah? We can come back to look at intention. And if the intention is in alignment with our aspirations, if the intention is in alignment with letting go of the causes of suffering, of harmlessness, then we can, then we can rest into that and trust in that. Yeah? Sometimes that's all we can do, most of the time. That's all we can do, is just trust in our intention. But check. Yeah? Check. I want to kind of say here that this can sound like, it can sound like it's getting really serious. <laughs> yeah? And heavy. And, and one side of it is, is, yeah, it is serious. I mean, being alive is serious. It's a huge responsibility that we didn't choose. Yeah? And on the other, it's really, really helpful if we don't take it too seriously. Yeah? If, we, if we really treat this as um, an opportunity to explore and play and taste and not kind of become, like I said before, frozen in this fear of doing the wrong thing or making mistakes. Yeah, even if it means that, you know, 
some of the um, result of being a living being is that we're going to cause harm. <laughs> to some degree, that's inevitable. Yeah, and we also have to take that on. And we can still do the best we can to live harmlessly. And that includes towards ourselves. Yeah, includes towards ourselves. Really important to remember. Huh. I thought I was making a pause from my notes, but now I'm looking at them. <laughs> It says, important to have kindness, forgiveness, humor. Ha! <laughs> <laughs> I'm in tune with myself. Isn't that wonderful? So, yeah, really important to have that kindness, forgiveness, humor. Yeah? Honesty and courage. Yeah? Really important to have these to kind of um, really nourish them in ourselves. There are, there are allies. Yeah, there are allies on, on this journey of being a human being. So, we had the spark of understanding, intention, how that manifests in our actions, <coughs> in our thoughts, in our speech, and in our livelihood, our, li- our choices about life. Yeah? All of this is supported by um, this alignment with what is wholesome and the letting go of what is unwholesome. Yeah? And in the tradition, this is called right effort, yeah? or wise effort. Which part? The wholesome and the unwholesome, yeah. So, and, and for me, this is again one of the fa- my favorite bits of the teachings. When in the teachings, effort is used, it's used in this context. It's not effort to get something, it's not effort to be something, it's not effort to kind of just be focused on the breath. It's the effort to let go of what is unwholesome, yeah? Both what has arisen and is unwholesome and the conditions that will lead to more unwholesomeness. And it's the effort to cultivate, to nourish that which is wholesome. Yeah? To keep it going. To keep it going. And it's, it's, this is really, really, um, it's really beautiful. <laughs> yeah? And again, it's like the intention. It really keeps us, really helps us come back to something very simple and very profound. Is this wholesome? Yes, let's support it. Is this unwholesome? How can I let go? How can I gently dissolve the sticky relationship that I have with this? Yeah. So wholesome and unwholesome. And again, it's like, for me, it's like an alignment, aligning with the wholesome, aligning with the unwholesome. disaligning with the unwholesome, letting go. Yeah, it's an alignment, a tuning in, a tuning in. And it's a very, very alive process, yeah, deeply alive process. So all, the, all these aspects um, that I've, I've just covered, and I'll repeat them again, understanding, intention, care around speech, action, life choices, and wise, skillful effort. All of these support and are supported by mindfulness. Yeah that capacity to bring attention, to choose what we bring attention to, and to stay with that. And they're supported and supportive of samadhi, which I think we've mentioned. I think Nathan mentioned it one talk, usually translated as concentration. But actually that capacity of collecting, collecting the mind in a way 
that brings calm, that brings energy, that brings harmonization, yeah, and ease and well-being. So it's, a, it's, um, it's also a resource for us, this capacity to do that. So that ongoing commitment to meet life, yeah, it's an ongoing commitment to meet life, which is mindfulness, yeah. That is, you know, at the root of all of this, you know, we're not going to be able to see cause and effect without mindfulness, yeah. We're not going to be able to remember intention without mindfulness. We're not going to be able to discern between the wholesome and the, and the unwholesome without mindfulness, Yeah. And we're not going to be able to really collect our attention, collect our being, act from a place of steadiness and harmony. Yeah. Without samadhi. And this goes both ways. This is really important. So they support the others and the others support them because it's all, and they all come together. Yeah. They all come together. They all mutually arise, mutually support <coughs> each other. Can you see that? A little bit? Yeah? Good. That's helpful. So I want to give um, an example, real-life example of this. Hopefully it will make sense. This is an example about my, um, my sister. Um, one of my sisters, I have two. I usually say my sister and I'm always talking about the same one and that's not very nice for the, to the other one. So one of two. So, um, so in October, I think it was, um, Nathan and I were, um, had organised a weekend um, in Palestine to help Palestinian farmers um, harvest their olives and uh, a weekend combining meditation and action, just like the coming work retreat. And, um, and my sister came to, to join us. And while she was climbing, it had rained um, that morning, I think. And while she was climbing an olive tree, she slipped and she uh, banged her knee. And it later turned out that, you know, there was some damage. She was in a lot of pain, so she had to... Um, she was limping, she had to use a stick, and she couldn't drive the next day. So she had to take taxis. And this is where it gets interesting. <laughs> All of that was the introduction. So, a little bit of background. So in Israel, two things. One, helping Palestinians is a political action. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's, it's a view, it's a strong view. And lots of people don't agree with it. And taxi drivers have an image of the sort of people that would not agree with that kind of action. Yeah, that's a stereotype. Okay? So, this is what my sister told me about the experience. So, you know, first taxi takes her from her house to, to work. And, you know, out she comes, limping with a stick. So, of course, the friendly taxi driver asks, oh, darling, what happened to you? <laughs> yeah. And she said that normally she would have um, either avoided the question because she wouldn't want an argument or she would lie yeah, because she didn't, wouldn't, wouldn't want an argument. Yeah? So she wouldn't say what she'd been doing and how this happened. But something about the weekend and that um, having spent time meditating and having spent time aligning, yeah, so that we can say a type of samadhi, a type of collectedness, and an alignment with intention, yeah, and with understanding, which then affects the speech, yeah, the action. And so from that real place of collectedness, and of care, and that intention of non-harming, yeah, non-harming, non-ill will. She just answered, 
honestly. She said, I was helping Palestinian friends harvest their olives and I slipped down the tree and banged my knee. And what that opened up was an open conversation. Yeah, an open conversation. So this happened with the first taxi driver that took her to work and then it happened with the second taxi driver that took her from work, in both cases. And she said that, you know, there were two different people, it was two different conversations. Yeah? And in both conversations there wasn't they didn't see eye to eye. Yeah. But there was a meeting. Yeah. There was sharing. There was human connection from both sides. Yeah. And there was dialogue, you know, which is so important in our world, you know, we so little have the courage to speak our truth when we think someone doesn't agree with it and we miss out yeah we miss out on opportunities to hear and to share because we don't want to get into confrontation yeah and we forget that maybe there's something else that's possible and you know can give ourselves the chance in the other. So I think for, for my sister, this was a more transformative experience than the weekend had been. <laughs> Just that sense of, ah, you know, I can actually really be aligned, really be in tune with myself and put myself out there. And the result, you know, like, and I said two people, two different things, you know, <coughs> one more heated, one less heated. But we can disagree and still connect. Yeah. So it's a real, uh, real teaching, and, and you know that she shared, and, and I, I, I feel really touched by it. Yeah. Very simple. Yeah. In life, not on the cushion. Very, very simple. That capacity. So acting in alignment, yeah, acting in alignment, taking chances and being open to see what fruits will that bear, how will that unfold for us. So this process is very, very alive, yeah, it's very, very alive. It's, it's part of what makes it um, joyful sometimes and interesting and also scary, yeah, because there's no fixed recipes. Yeah, it's not like, oh, just like on the cushion, you know. Wouldn't we love if someone just said to us, okay, you come, you sit, you do one, two, three, four, and there you get the result you wanted. You know, just like pressing the button on a, I don't know, espresso machine or something. <laughs> yeah. Wouldn't it be wonderful? Yes and no. <laughs> Seems wonderful sometimes. But there's no fixed recipes. <coughs> There's no fixed recipes in life, yeah? We have to engage. We have to go with the aliveness of the process. So it's an alive process and it's really related to the ways of looking that we've been speaking about here. Yeah, and I, I want to make that connection more, more clear, more obvious. Yeah how ways of looking come into this, how all of this is ways of looking. Yeah, we can see all of this as ways of looking. I'm looking through intention. I'm looking through understanding. I'm looking through cultivating the wholesome. Yeah, all of these are ways of looking. So, a friend of ours uses this uh, image, which we haven't used this time. We usually steal it from her. Um, of ways of looking, and she actually, she actually, when she teaches, she does this. So she comes to um, to give a talk with a pile of glasses and puts them next to her. And she says, "Ways of looking is like putting on glasses. <coughs> yeah, it's like putting on a certain pair of glasses through which you see things a certain way." Okay. The caveat here is that there's always a way of looking, so that. 
you know, when we use this example of the glasses, it gives, a, it gives an impression that, some, you know, we can also take the glasses off and not have any on. But there's always a way of looking present. Yeah. So that's, that's important to say. So, you know, there's the, way, there's the, the glasses of aversion, there's the glasses of calmness, there's the glasses of um, interest. Yeah? All of these are ways of looking. And the practice, we can divide the practice of ways, ways of looking practice into three types. Yeah, I just want to kind of delineate today to hopefully make it a little bit more clear. So the first one is um, the, ways, the ways of looking practices that we've been doing, um, especially the last three days, actually also the Vedana. Intentional, we can say intentional. We're intentionally putting on a specific way of looking. Yeah, like we're looking at anicca, we're looking at impermanence, we're looking at dukkha, we're looking um, through the through the lens of of not self, um, and we're doing that in order to cut through that build up of dependent origination in the sense of self and to release suffering. Yeah, so that's one way we do the practice. Does that is that clear to people? Yeah, that's one way we use them. A second way that we can practice with ways of looking is that we recognize when there's an unhelpful or unwholesome way of looking present. Yeah, we recognize that and we see if it's possible to swap the pair of glasses. <laughs> yeah, to take that off and to put something else on that would be more wholesome, more skillful, more useful. Okay, so that's the second practice. And we can do that at any point. Yeah, so someone was sharing in one of the groups, you know, hearing a certain sound, having a certain reaction, and then imagining that the sound was being made by something that they liked. Yeah, and how that's changing the way of looking. Yeah, changing the way of looking. So that's a a way that we can also practice. The third is cultivating, so actively cultivating wholesome ways of looking, yeah, that, so that they become more and more the default, yeah, so instead of our habit, the default is usually a habitual ways of looking, yeah, so we may have an inclination to be aversive, or we may have an inclination to beat ourselves up, or we may have um, an inclination to be um, over enthusiastic or whatever it is, yeah, we have a habit. Instead of the habitual, we cultivate other ways of looking that are um, wholesome, yeah, like metta or compassion or interest, all of these, yeah. So we cultivate them, and the more we cultivate, the more of a default they are. So the more they arise naturally, yeah. So we don't need to intentionally change them. They actually arise in the mind, naturally. So we incline the mind towards those wholesome states. And with that cultivation, the range is really important, yeah? So that we can change ways of looking according to what is useful and what is appropriate in the moment, yeah? That's why, you know, we have metta, we have compassion, we have um, interest, yeah? We have curiosity, we have spaciousness, we have a lot of different ways of looking that we can apply. How's the energy doing? Tired? Had enough? Tired but not had enough. (laughs) Anyone had enough? Okay, let's give it a little bit more. Okay, so I want to give another example, which hopefully will make sense. So, a few months ago, um, I think it was in the summer, um, I was um, 
I was in Israel. I arrived in Israel uh, to visit my mum for a couple of weeks. It was a short visit. And um, a couple of days after I arrived, I phoned one of my uh, closest, one of our closest Palestinian friends um, and to, to arrange to go and see him. And, you know, the niceties, how are you, how are you? And um, he, he shared with me that his wife was very, very ill. She probably had cancer. Um, the Palestinian doctors weren't able to really um, give them a clear answer. And he wanted to bring her to Israel um, to, to get diagnosed and hopefully treated, which is, I won't go into the details, but for Palestinians, that's a very, very complex process. So here I was on the other side of the phone, hearing this and staying steady with my experience. The interesting thing was that what I felt, along with the, the sadness and the, you know, the empathy and the compassion, was that I felt an immense sense of gratitude. And the gratitude was that I am here <laughs> right now and I can help. Yeah, it's an immense sense of gratitude. I'm here right now and I can help. If I was in England, it would be much more difficult. Yeah. So, this was very, very interesting to see, and I'll come back to it. So there was a process with me and, and quite a few other Israeli friends of you know, helping with the bureaucracy and the paperwork and everything to, to get um, to get our friend Pfizer to to an Israeli to, to the specific Israeli hospital that they wanted to go to. And um, later on a friend who actually drove them I was already out of the country by then, who actually drove them um, to the hospital, um, shared with me his experience. And he said, you know, they they after this whole process, you know, I think it took about two weeks, they got, you know, finally getting them to the hospital, getting her to the PET scan, um, kind of dropping them off, other friends staying there to, to deal with, with all the, the rest of it. And he went back out to his car and he sat down and he felt um, immense sadness, yeah, immense sadness. And the sadness was um, because... He was aware of all the other, in this case particularly Palestinians, in, the sim in a similar situation, who do not have Israeli friends that could help them in the way that he had just helped. Yeah. So, two, two responses, yeah, two responses, both... I think we can we can resonate with both, yeah. Very, very um, human, beautiful, profound responses of the heart, yeah. The compassion and the sense of sadness of knowing, you know, all the rest, all the other suffering that's there that I cannot attend to, and then the gratitude. I am here to do this. Two responses. Both heart-opening and appropriate. Yeah, I really want to emphasize that. Both heart-opening and appropriate. But what I really want to, what I want to point to here with, with the ways of looking is the importance of balance. Yeah, the importance of balance. Yeah, between those two. If we just, if we only connect to the sadness, yeah, we become overwhelmed and unable to act. Yeah. If we only connect to what we can do, we become disconnected from the suffering. We need the movement. We need the movement, we need the balance. We need to be able to hold the kind of that 
mystery of the human condition. The immense, not just the human, the immense degree of suffering in the world and the immense amount of good that is available for us to, to act on, to do, to respond. And the value of each action. So this balance yeah, is something that we can cultivate. Yeah, balance within the ways of looking. Something we can cultivate on the cushion and we can cultivate it in life. Yeah, in life situations. Yeah, we can always look at what is present and what happens if I change the way I look. Yeah? How do I bring balance? And for most of us as human beings, a lot of the balance needs to be towards um, qualities such as gratitude, generosity, appreciation, joy, <laughs> metta, compassion. Yeah, a lot of the balance needs to be towards that because our brains, this is science again, <laughs> our brains are um, actually, um, I keep forgetting words today, programmed, yes, our brains are programmed to notice the negative more. Yeah, I think Nathan mentioned it when he said, you know, a lot of our conditioning is from um, that kind of tension between um, am I going to get lunch or be lunch? Yeah. So a lot of our, of our conditioning is, is from those times when being aware of danger is incredibly important. Yeah. So it's, I think I've now forgotten it, but I think the ratio between negative and positive stimulus is that we need to have seven times more positive than negative in order for us to feel that it's balanced, 50-50. So we, we, the impact of the negative, it's called the negativity bias if you haven't heard about it, the impact of the negative is 70, seven times stronger on us. So this rebalancing, this um, opening, aligning, noticing, and cultivating generosity, gratitude, appreciation, joy is really important. Yeah, it's not about self gratification. It's actually about bringing balance into the system and resourcing. Yeah, when we think about how we feel. Yeah, how do we feel when there's gratitude, or how do we feel when there's generosity in the being? We feel open, yeah, spacious, and we also feel resourced. Yeah, it gives us energy, gives us energy. So this balancing is really, really important. And these are um, attitudes that we can, you know, we can cultivate through formal practice, but we can also really cultivate in the life, you know, actually look through the way of looking at gratitude. What can I be grateful for? What do I appreciate? What brings me joy? Where's the joy in this moment? Yeah. To really, really cultivate that intentionally. And of course, compassion, metta, qualities that we've, we've spoken about. thought this talk was going to be shorter. <laughs> okay, I want to end with a quote from, um, from Albert Einstein. And I really like this quote. He's speaking about the human condition. So he says, a human being is part of the whole called by us universe. So a human being is part of the whole called by us universe. A part that is limited in time and space. 
Human beings experience themselves, their thoughts and their feelings as something separate from the rest. Yeah? We experience ourselves, our thoughts and our feelings as separate from the rest of the universe, as separate as from the rest of the whole. And this is a kind of optical illusion of our consciousness. Yeah? This experience of experiencing ourselves as separate, it's an optical illusion of our consciousness. And this delusion is like a prison. Yeah? This delusion is like a prison for us. It restricts us to our personal desires and to affection for a few people nearest to us. Yeah? So this delusion is a limitation, it's a restriction, it's a prison. He uses really strong language here. Our task, our path, our journey, our training, I'm adding that, he just says our task. Okay? Our task must be to free ourselves from this prison. This is our task. This is our journey, to free ourselves from this prison by widening our circle of love and compassion, to embrace all living creatures and the whole of nature in its beauty. This is our task. Yeah? It's a beautiful one. <laughs> yeah? And I think when, when we read this quote, we can feel it. It's our task. Just like we clean toilets on the retreat. <laughs> Yeah. or chop vegetables, yeah? It's our task. And we can just attend to it as part of our lives, yeah? Let it permeate what we do, how we do it, yeah? Let it permeate that task to break out of the prison, yeah? And to find love for all beings and for nature, <laughs> in all its beauty, which includes ourselves, yeah? part of nature, part of the beauty. So let's just have a, a quiet moment to end. <coughs> Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.